I really wanted to evoke this feeling of being deceived. Like the tone of the movie was super important for me. You know, making a film that sort of was a commentary on our, you know, America's fascination with true crime mm. and make, you know, and also make a film that evoked this feeling of not knowing. Like I think that um, in crime thrillers, oftentimes you have, like everything gets wrapped up. And obviously that's just very satisfying and rewarding for an audience, but in real life, things are a little bit more gray and unknowable. And that was really interesting to me. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, a hardened detective attempts to uncover the truth in a case where nothing is as it seems, in director Grant Singer's crime mystery, Reptile. The film tells the story of Tom Nichols, a New England detective investigating the brutal murder of a young real estate agent. Though Tom is unflinching in his pursuit for justice, the case begins to dismantle the illusions in his own life. Reptile is Singer's feature directorial debut. His other directorial credit includes the documentary feature Sean Mendez in Wonder. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Singer spoke with director Louis Leterrier about filming Reptile. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you. Uh, I'm Louis. This is Grant. <laughs> hey. Uh, um, so you have a very interesting origin story and you have an origin story that used to be very common in the 90s and, uh, you know, early 2000s. You were, you are one of the greatest music video directors. Uh, tell us about this. Like, how do you, uh, you know, how did you... F- get into this and and you know talk about yeah talk about your origin story it's very interesting to me so went to film school knew i wanted to be a filmmaker director um but it, the idea of making movies was so daunting like to get from where i was which is you know just someone who loved movies wanted to be a director to you know essentially making a movie like this uh-huh. i didn't know where to begin and at the time i was living in new york friends with a lot of artists and musicians people in bands and I was always like the film guy with the camera knew how to you know make my own videos shoot you know etc so um got a 5d a dslr camera and just started documenting our lives and then making these sort of visuals essentially that accompanied music and then a music video and then one video turned into two video and then all of a sudden uh, I'm being um you know, sought after to, to make videos for other artists. And I kind of just spiraled into a career. And I think also, I, I think even subconsciously, I knew that there were, there was perhaps a, a path forward, you know, growing up knowing filmmakers like from, you know, Michelle Gondry, Spike Jones, Mark Romanek, David Fincher, you know, I'm from the generation that like looked up to those guys and felt like, you know, maybe this is a way forward. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of how it started. That's very interesting because music videos are, you have to seek them these days. You have to find them. It's hard to, and you know, and, and it's, it's not perceived as a calling card these days as it was. It's more like commercials and stuff like that. So it's very interesting. So it's like 
it was the tr- the art of the music video that you liked and the the the, the meeting with the artist and I'm, yeah. Well, I think uh, well, it's interesting you you say that because when I was younger, I was in bands, played music. I thought I wanted to be a film composer. And it wasn't until my freshman year in film in uh, college in film history class watching Hiroshima Mon Amour, where I was like, "Oh my god, I got to be a director!" Like I like it was just like I wanted to I wanted to I wanted that entire um, experience, not just to to compose music for film. Uh, but I think it was also just the the access that I had. It, like even directing commercials straight out of film school, how would I get it, uh, represented by a commercial company? Like it just it was too daunting, mm-hmm. and it was just I was I had access to interesting musicians who were good friends of mine who trusted me, and it just kind of sort of spiraled into a career. That's amazing. That's amazing. So this movie, it's first movie, first time uh, you hadn't done TV, you haven't done TV, you haven't done. That's really your first narrative. First thing, okay, yeah. That seems incredible. Um, did it did it come from a personal experience, something that you always wanted to do? I mean, this is a very tough genre, uh, and to launch yourself into this as your first feature film, did you feel that you had this inside of, in, in in you? So I've always loved this genre of movie. I think I, I, I think I, I always wanted to make a crime thriller as my first film. It just felt like, you know, with your first film, sometimes it, it has to almost evoke your sensibility as a director. Um, obviously you can make many different movies throughout your career, but it should sort of articulate or capture a, a style, a feeling that you're trying to evoke. Um, I knew I wanted to make a film that had a prologue um, where you experience either a day or an event with two characters and then essentially you pass the baton and change protagonists and then as the rest of the movie unfolds, your perspective on those first opening minutes changes. Um, I knew I wanted to make a film that evoked this, that played with this idea of the hunter is the hunted that you see in Coppola's The Conversation with the Gene Hackman character. And then um, I really wanted to evoke this feeling of being deceived. Like the tone of the movie was super important for me. Um, And then, you know, making a film that sort of was a commentary on our, you know, America's fascination with true crime mm-hmm. and make, and also make a film that evoked this feeling of not knowing. Like I think that um, in crime thrillers, oftentimes you have um, uh, like everything gets wrapped up. And obviously that's just very satisfying and rewarding for an audience, but in real life things are a little bit more gray and unknowable. And that was really interesting to me. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you really put the audience in in uh, Benicio's, uh, you know, nice Italian loafers as we see them at one point. Because uh, 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 it's very confusing. And in the beginning, I, I, I watched it and, you know, and actually alone at night, that's not a real, I was terrified uh, watching it. Uh, uh, in the beginning, I didn't know what it was about, and and you know, and you make it quite confusing, and you, we don't know what movie it's going to be, and uh, you know, it's it very much what a, a cop would feel like, you know, starting an investigation. I really felt like it's the, one of the first time where the confusion was part of the direction, and you, you wanted that. Right? Yeah, I think. Another thing that I was attracted to with this movie or what I was hoping to do was to make something that felt a little bit unpredictable, like you didn't know where the story was taking you. That was interesting to me because at the end of the day, you know, when you make a movie, I know I'm in a room with filmmakers, um, you, you want to make the movie that you want to see. And it was like at the time, you know, I felt like this was the movie that I wanted to see. And um, also, you know, you just saw the film so I can speak about it without, you know, revealing any spoilers. The film sort of presents itself as a sort of contemporary noir investigative thriller then something happens halfway through and then 
it really shifts into this sort of internal character piece where this character's world starts to unravel in real time mm-hmm. and it gets more like paranoia and emotional and like this sort of brooding sense of suspense and unease that unnerving feeling was something that I was interested in and then eventually with the climax you know but uh yeah I think I think those are all aspects that I was attracted to that's interesting so obviously you have it's your script correct it's your script originally so then you have to cast this movie and this amazing, I mean, incredible cast. Uh, uh, I mean, I would love after 20 years to, uh, of a career to have a cast like this. How did you, how did you come to them? Did you, did you come to Benicio? Are they friends of yours? Like, how did you, no. So Ben and I had written the script um, and we set up with our producers, Black Label, who had mm-hmm. done Sicario with Benicio. And uh in that first conversation, we, you know, we started talking about actors just inevitably because that's how you get a movie made. And, and his name came up and, I, and they're like, what do you think? I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? We can get him a script. They're like, listen, we've never sent him a script before other than Sicario. So we don't know how he's going to react, but we love your vision. We think he might vibe with you. So they sent him the script. He responded to it and we met. We had like a two and a half hour meeting in Rick Yorn's conference room with Rick and Jack Wiggum and rapid fire questions. He's just like instantly just trying to, I mean, about the movie, but I could tell he was really trying to just figure me out. Like, who was I? Is this someone I want, you know, is this, am I someone he wanted to work with? And, and then at the end of the meeting, he's like, all right, let's get to work. And I'm like, oh my God, did, did I just get Benicio Del Toro in my movie? <laughs> um, but it, it wasn't as simple as that. Like it was more like he was engaging, right? Like you right. know that process where it's like he's dipping his toes in. And we started meeting um, multiple times a week, in talking about the script, but also talking about movies. Like I'm a student of film. I love movies. I just love, I can talk about them all day. And he is too. And we just, we got along very well. And so that's how that happened, at least with the Benicio thing. And and then once you have Benicio in your movie, you tend to have other actors more I excited know, yeah, about yeah, it. it defined, yeah, the, yeah, your initial so, actor defines your movie. Yeah. But can we talk about, because he put his you know, hand in the script, correct? Correct, yeah. So yeah. At, at this point, that was a conversation then? Or? No, it, like, that initial, like that initial meeting was more about like, it, it wasn't spoken, meaning it was like, let's start talking about the movie. Let's start talking about him potentially playing this character. And then um, the three of us, Ben, Benicio, and I started, you know, talking about ideas and changing the story and getting, working on the characters and deepening the plot or deepening certain things. And, you know, it was just like a very inspiring, um, spontaneous experience where all of a sudden he's writing, you know, he's a a co-writer. So yeah, that's how that happened. That's incredible. That created that trust between the two of you that is very apparent on the screen on, on the screen. It 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 is a, an actor trusting his director and giving you everything and giving you the, the, the small stuff that you know sh- showing him sl- asleep. That's actually you know, actors don't like that. They will tell you. I don't know. <laughs> That's the first thing. He's actually he's, he's willing to that. That's interesting. So Benicio was the first one, obviously, and he defines the movie. And then who do you go then? Who do you go? So to in that first, first meeting, uh, Rick, Benicio's manager, um, had said, what about Justin? Like in that first meeting. So his name was, was, uh, was, was brought on um, or at least thrown out in that meeting. And then I ended up directing his performance for the Biden inauguration. Like, I don't know, whenever that was, 2021, mm-hmm. I think. Anyway, um, 
and we had met and I worked with him and he'd already read the script. And, uh, there was a coincidence. It was just like, Oh, well, yeah, no, yeah, he'd read it. So Rick had sent him the script. And so we, we, we also got along very well, very different person than Benicio, but, yeah, yeah, but really, really interesting. And, and so it was the two of them. And then I can't remember them cast Dominic. And at some point, you know, Benicio and I were discussing who could play his wife, Judy. And yeah, he had worked just- with Alicia many years ago and he knew her very well. Mm-hmm. And he had re- uh, recommended her. And I was like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. We got into Zoom and it was just like, it just, that's amazing, it yeah. was just instantly, you can tell it just felt right. Um, she brings such a, 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 a vulnerable um, yet a strength, like a, a vulnerability yet a strength to the character, but is, is really like this nice counterpoint to the evils that Benicio's character faces throughout his work life in the film. And even just, we shot the movie in Atlanta. I remember like those early couple days rehearsing with her and Benicio, just those scenes come to life. Sometimes when you're working with actors, you kind of have to like kind of think about how, you know, maybe a scene's not coming to life the way that you mm-hmm. wanted to, the stuff between the two of them just instantly felt very alive. There was mm-hmm. a vitality to those scenes. And I would, you know, I, I think she's partly responsible for that. She's just such a phenomenal actor. There's an effortless to her, to the way she, I mean, it's, it's not effortless, but it's seemingly effortless because she just naturally is very, it's natural. Like she mm-hmm. just brings something really interesting to the character. Um, and her process was awesome. And and so so were you able to have all your actors on set at the same time? Were you able to rehearse and do table reads? We did like, do, yeah. No, we never no. did a table read. We did like two days of like rehearsal. It was, it was so, um, we had a start date that we were kind of backing into because of the availability of actors. So I had six weeks of prep in Atlanta, mm. which isn't much. Um, and I think all we had most of the actors there for like two days before we started shooting. So I was kind of cramming everything into those two days. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, so, all right, let's talk about the shoot now. Uh, is it your usual crew? I mean, did you, did you, did you crew up differently than your music videos? Did you, did you find people that you hadn't worked with before and stuff or, you know? There, there wasn't a single person I'd ever worked with. Really? From, yeah, on this movie. So. It's your first movie. (laughs) But I was, I was like, you know, and I know it's kind of funny, (laughs) but, but, um. I will go with no one. No, I, 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 I I mean, it was, listen, I was also trusting my producers, like, you know, that they were going to, you know, give me access to really great people and collaborators, which they were like my production designer, Patrick Sullivan, one of my great friends now who I love and want to work with for a very long time. My cinematographer, Michael Giolacus, who I also love. It was very cool. Um, that first zoom, cause we shot this obviously during COVID my first zoom with Mike, my DP, um, he was, on, he lives in San Diego. He was like on the rooftop on his building. It was really sunny out. And we would just start talking about movies that we love from like In Cold Blood and Night of the Hunter. And like, yeah. we both love, he's, he's a little bit older than me, but around the same age, we both have like a, a lust for film. Like we both, we're not jaded. Like we love movies. We love, um, older films. And, uh, I just could tell his, we, we share a passion for a certain kind of movie and instantly I just felt like he would be a really amazing collaborator. Not that other collaborators I had worked with wouldn't be as great, but I just, I liked his um, excitement and the fact that we are around the same age. It felt there was like an equality to the collaboration. It wasn't like a a very seasoned cinematographer kind of looking down on me like, Oh, I'm some first time director. It was very like two younger people trying to make something good, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And same thing for the rest of the crew. I mean, it felt the same way with the- There was a, I, I got very lucky with the crew. Everybody then, yeah. was, I mean, phenomenal. Yeah. And what about, so So I have a question also about the editor. Like did, did your editor, did you know your editor? No. no. Because that's also some, you know, he he or she will transcribe your vision and find the right takes and everything. You know, that, the tr that trust that you have with Benicio, Justin, Alicia can be broken when they, see, when they you know, if there's a first cut that somebody sees and, you know, especially because he's producing and that doesn't work. So yeah, same thing. So my editor never worked with him before. Kevin Hickman, shout out. He's amazing. Love him. And we basically spent a year together uh, <laughs> locked in a room with no windows. So um, I know him very well. He, he, well, first of all, I just, I instantly could tell he was the right guy because I loved his personality. He's a very affable guy. I tend, I'm a little, I would describe myself as affable. He just had a very good attitude. Um, we share the same, we both love Kubrick. We share a lot of the same filmmakers, same taste, which I think is really important. And I pitched him my vision over the phone one day and he loved it. And I just, again, it's, I approach filmmaking and I even think just work in general very intuitively. And I just had this intuitive feeling that he was going to be a great editor to work with mm -hmm. and end up being a great decision. And did you, uh, because it's your first film again, did you, did you at night go in the editing room? Did you try stuff? Did you get, did you learn your movie as you were making it? Like, did you learn what it felt and, and change stuff and tweaked? We were, um, I was in the edit every day. I mean, Kevin would spend, some time obviously in the edit without me but uh the first sequence we cut was i believe that therapist sequence halfway through the film which mm -hmm. is a little bit more lyrical and rhythmic and um has a separate rhythm to it than the rest of the movie i think that was a great first sequence to cut together because he kind of felt well first of all i approach direct or edit editing really very musically like i like my films i like film to be musical and rhythmic and you know um i think he was sort of learning the kind of rhythms that i was interested in and he was kind of going with it and then that was a really i think a great sequence to begin the process with because it um it it provided us a template that could we could use throughout the rest of the movie like almost like well this is as extreme we're going to go and the rest can kind of be, be a little bit more traditional that was going to be my next question um your your direction your 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 direction of characters your 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 understanding of suspense is brilliant i mean it's incredible your 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 camera direction your 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 blocking and frankly your sound design and your music that really is something that i've rarely seen it's it's masterful so is it is it because you were a musician do you have this conversation with or love music this is is it the a conversation that you had with yourself, but also with the musician and, and, and the editor and everything like you knew you were, you didn't find it. You, you came with it. Correct. Yeah. So I think sonically, um, a lot of what you guys just saw was probably more preconceived. It wasn't something that we like found in the edit. I think I've always loved this thing in filmmaking. It's essentially like an architecture where an actor walks 10 feet, camera follows him 10 feet, actor stops, camera stops, music stops. This sort of symphonic connection between what you're seeing and what you're hearing. I like that tightrope. I like, I like the um, synchronicity of that. Um, that was something that I, I even pitched, bef you know, my producers in our first meeting, like the way I wanted to, the essentially it's like a construction thing that you're talking about, the way that we're, yeah, the, 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 the connection between 
the image and the, and the sound is something that I was very interested in. And, uh, you know, I think also having that music background that we talked about earlier, um, like, so we were talking about Kubrick a second ago. So Kubrick, for example, is someone who's like, I love the, the music and the sound in his movies. Like when I think of Eyes Wide Shut, I can hear the Ligeti almost before I even see it. When I think of uh, The Shining, I can hear the Penderecki before I even see the thing. It's like I, or even in Hitchcock with Vertigo, for example, I could hear the Bernard Herrmann score before I even see the film. It's like, I love the sound of these movies and I love the way that the music makes me feel. And, um, and that was something important that I wanted this film to be sonically seductive, but a little bit um, unnerving and maybe... Um, intense at certain moments but your camera and it's very interesting the way the, the movie is, con, is, uh, is, is conceived really in the beginning you really you you draw us into this world like you you really slowly drag us down into this world slowly and move your camera and as you said like very organically i i, I told you outside like I, I i had like some rosemary's baby flashes of like oh that guy has, you know, he's it's the new Polanski. But like, it's like really we had, like it really was very, very uh, uh, interesting. Did you storyboard everything? Did you conceive everything? Or did you feel the the moment? So I wanted to storyboard the whole movie. We didn't have much time. Only at six weeks. <laughs> we had, yeah, we didn't have much time. It was like, oh, we got to go. Um, we, we, we shot listed no storyboard. Well, no, we, we storyboard like one of the gun sequences. Like, but um just for safety and just making sure everyone knew where they were supposed to be. But we shot listed just the first week of shooting, which is not the first five or 10 minutes of the movie, just the first week. And we, we were, I was hoping to shot list the rest of the movie, but we were just so like overwhelmed with um, the amount of days and work we had to do. And my cinematographer, Mike and I were just like, okay, fuck it. We're just going to wing it <laughs> um, after that first week. And it ended up being great to be honest, because I think, I was so, um, how do I say this? Like, I wanted this to be good so bad because it's a, a real gift to be able to make a movie, right? It doesn't just happen. Like, I worked my whole life for this moment. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to fuck it up. I, did, I was hoping, like, I really wanted to, you're talking about, like, making sure that visually that this was the movie. I'm not going to, you know, you don't get a second chance if it's not good. And I think that, not shot listing and just sort of submitting to the spontaneity of making a movie ended up being one of the best things for me as a learning experience, but also because I think some of the best stuff in this film is kind of on the fly. Like I, 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 I tend, my instincts tend to be very graphic, right? I think just because I'm a visual yeah. person, but my favorite stuff, I just watched the movie again a few days ago in New York is like these long lens stuff. Like it's like, I call it within without, like without is like when you're outside of something and you can really see the frame like but the camera and the presence of the director is very visible mm. and then there's these long lens stuff where you really feel like you're inches away from a character and you're inside a scene and it's funny because like now looking at it yeah there's like some cool graphic stuff going on but the stuff that's my favorite is the stuff where like the camera's invisible and i think that it's just a nice caliber you have to really calibrate that just when you're making a movie mm. but balance it out but my favorite stuff is the is the the stuff that's more invisible where you're not really like, it's not, it's like less look at me and more just like being inside of a moment. Mm -hmm. I think it's more impactful also just in terms of storytelling. How much, again, first movie, how much coverage did you have? I mean, did you really 
cover yourself? Did you were you were you worried that you wouldn't get the stuff, or did you like that's my movie, that's my script, I know what I want? We didn't do too much coverage. Like a lot of these sequences, like there's just one angle, there's yeah. just one shot. But again, it was like I knew that that was the shot, you know. So um, also. Yeah, you, I mean, like there are certain sequences where we shot, maybe there's like one sequence we shot three cameras, which is that French restaurant scene in maybe 15 minutes into the movie, just because we had so many actors around the table and we only had that restaurant for one day. So we had to like shoot the hell out of it in two hours. Um, and also just for the, it's to respect your actors. You don't want them to do the same scene 50 times, sure, sure. depending on the coverage. It was just for the respect for them and their processes just to have three cameras so that they can just do it a couple times and we get it. Amazing, amazing. Um, all right, so now let's move into post, okay? Um, I truly believe that I didn't become a director until I really finished the movie. I was not a director when I prepped the movie. I wasn't a director when I was shooting. But it's like realizing what you have and that coverage and what you're missing, etc. Did you did you feel this way? Did you feel like you're like, oh, I'm missing this, or I, I wish I did this, or or because you went on instinct, uh, uh, where you were like, this is this is it, I, I got it. Well, well, there's always moments where like, oh my god, I should have done that different. <laughs> like I remember there's a there's a sequence in one of the um, the first square dancing sequence um, where uh, we kind of like we're kind of like moving the camera and we're rotating the camera as um, Dominic Lombardozzi is, is coming around the thing, mm. around the table. We only shot that scene with like really, like that was the one And we're going through the footage and it's just like none of the dolly shots are perfect. And I'm, I, I, I'm kind of a stickler for like focus <laughs> and things like that. And I was What? just like, oh, I knew it. I knew I should have got coverage. I knew it. And, and I remember my cinematographer was like, no, Grant, we got it. It's beautiful. And I was like, Of course, in the edit, I'm thinking, oh, I knew it. I should have got some, like a, just a shot to cut away to. I had nothing to cut to. So, of course, there's always moments like that. And it ended up being fine, you know, like we figured it out. And I think we did cut to something else. But there's always things that you see in the edit that you don't see when you're shooting a movie, like the bump of a camera, a focus thing. Someone accidentally looks inside the, um, the, lens. the lens, like someone in the background that's distracting. There's always these things. And it's like, it's it's like a nightmare because like you can't control it, but also you like your script, super, your script supervisor was amazing. But again, these things people just miss. It's like you're working quickly. So, um, again, my next go around, of course, I'm going to do things a little <laughs> bit differently and cover myself a little Seven bit better. Seven weeks prep. Yeah, exactly. Maybe one more week of prep. Um, no, but you know, you always have those things, but I, I definitely actually, in my next go around, I think I will be a little bit more like, um, just, put that as a priority to like, you know, even if my cinematographer says we got it, then let's just do another angle just for <laughs> sake of it. Uh, was it always a, a Netflix movie or were you, no? So we, uh, Black Label, my producers also finance. Mm -hmm. And when I met with them, they were like, you know, we're going to make a movie and we can also finance it, which is a great thing for a director because I was talking with other producers, but they were reliant on like the studio, whatever studio they had to deal with to like give us the green light. And, Uh, aside from just loving my producers and again, intuitively, I just felt in the room, like these guys are great. I, they're trustworthy. They're good people. They get my vision and they just seemed like, it just instantly felt good around them. I also like the fact that they could finance the movie and we weren't relying on any other power that be. Um, and then a few months before we were, we were supposed to shoot, I get a call from them and Rick saying, you know, what do you think about doing this with Netflix? And I was like, oh my God, that'd be amazing. You know? And, it just, I, I met with Netflix and 
pitched them the movie and, you know, they read the script and responded to it. And, and then, you know, the rest is history. And I'm, I'm, yeah, it was kind of happened just within two or three months before we started shooting. Well, there's two things, two things that happened with a Netflix movie. The entire world will see your movie and you're number one on Netflix today. So, well, congrats. But uh, yeah, Thank you. <laughs> it really means something. The entire world will see your movie, but also they will see it by themselves on a, on a screen, you know, TV or, you know, something. So did you edit differently? Did you, once you knew that it was Netflix, were you uh, definitely stressed because everybody would see it, but <laughs> did you, did you tweak? Did you go, I can go with less white shots and more close ups or no? Well, no, it's interesting. You, you bring up a great point, which is, I think that there was a part, um, maybe a month or two before we shot the film where I start to, it started to occur to me the realization that a lot of people would perhaps see this film. And in fact, I remember, um, you know, when one of my initial meetings with a studio executive, they were like a little bit less Lost Highway and a little bit more Chinatown. Like they felt like, don't lean into your David Lynch, you know, tendencies and give us something more commercial. And I think once Netflix came on board, I started to realize, you know, I, I needed to make something that was going to be accessible to a wider audience. You know, I'm still doing me, but... I, I, I wasn't going to like, it's like, I think about like the Velvet Underground, right? One of my favorite bands, but like their performance at some small rock club in 1966 in the Lower East Side with like 30 people is a very different type of performance that you'd have for like the Hollywood Bowl, right? You have to like calibrate what it is that you do differently for the size of the audience. I think that was something that I was conscious of. Like this wasn't just going to be a performance for a small group of people that there might be a lot of people watching this and I might have to change. The music's going to stay the same. The songs are the same, but the way that you would perform the songs might be a little bit different. And I, that was something that was certainly in the back of my, my head subconsciously while making the film. Yeah. Last question. The title, the greatest title of all time. <laughs> How did you find it? Like, it tell, I mean, I love it because it's like the moment I knew I was doing this, I was like, yes, I'm doing this with you on this movie. <laughs> How did you come up with it? Was it before? Was it then? Is it during? The script writing process before that first draft was done just felt like I love one word titles yeah, from like seven to heat. Just, you know, just like I wanted a bold, singular title. It felt like it was a nice metaphor for the film because characters are introduced as one thing and revealed to be something else as a sort of shedding of skin that occurs. And I just felt like um, it just felt right. Again, I didn't think too much about it. I know the title ha has been divisive, you know, over the last, you know, year or two. People have like been like, I'm not sure about the title, but, you know, my collaborators and Netflix have been really supportive. And like, we believe in the title and um, it just felt right. You lean in, that title's amazing. Everything, I was like, reptile, what's it about? Wait, the tattoo, it's a reptile. Everything was a reptile. I was like, and then, then, yeah. then I understand. Then the movie reptile was yeah. amazing. This is an incredible movie. You're an incredible filmmaker. It's your first Thank movie. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, Brent, you're amazing. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>